Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 69. Jared Scheffler and Snooking for Whitetails. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Pat Howard, covert scouting cameras, wildlife surveillance specialist. And you're listening to my number one favorite podcast, Jay and Dusty, on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Bieber, Technical Director at Carbon Synergy, and I'm listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes, Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast. Hey, this is Dr. Carl Miller, and you're listening to my favorite hunting podcast on the internet, the Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast. Hey, this is Jay Scott, your host of the Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast. What's going on? I'd just like to talk some deer hunting today, some bow hunting. And first, before we get to that subject matter, I'd like to talk Dusty Phillips. Dusty, are you over there? I am here. What's happening? You know, it's, uh, man, it's, it's, the rut is just around the corner. Rut check. Rut check. Um, are you seeing a lot of deer movement right now? You know, I, I, it's, it's picking up the crops are coming off here in Ohio. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that's phenomenal. Um, acorns are plentiful the crops were plentiful and uh hopefully they didn't leave too much corn in the fields and they're going to keep hitting these acorns because that's where i'm set up this year i'm i'm trying to hunt in the woods and and try to catch the staging areas of the big bucks before they hit the field so you know yep i I am i am hunting hard hard at hunting and hunting hard same here i'm hunting hard and i am most intrigued with our guest tonight and you may want to second guess your tree stand set up this year after listening to this guy yeah absolutely you know and i think that we're going to learn some things that uh is a little bit out of the comfort zone for most yes this is outside the box of hunting so i guess the most important aspect of the what our guest is talking about is that you don't ever really get comfortable ever you don't make a a dedication to one particular buck to kill don't get emotionally attached to a spot or a buck that's one of the biggest tips he's left us with and uh the person that's joining us tonight or on the big buck podcast today is jared scheffler from whitetail adrenaline let's uh let's talk to jared and and get him on because i'm so ready to hear this yeah, Jared is a phenomenal deer hunter if you've never seen his videos. But uh, we go deep with Jared on this interview, so stay tuned. It's all about the uh, the, the snooking. The snook. We're going to learn all about snooking right here on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. This could be a first, yeah. snooking. Don't miss it. Let's get Jared on the line. Let's do it. Jared Scheffler, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. How are you, my friend? Good. How about yourself? And thanks for having me. Uh, we're doing pretty good, man. Uh, Dusty's out in Ohio. I'm in New Hampshire. And where are you right now, Jared? Uh, I'm actually in my garage right now. <laughs> in your garage. And whereabouts yeah. in what state are you in? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me what I was doing in my garage. Okay. Um, well, I want to know that after. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> want to know that. 
Um, well, actually, the reason that I'm in my garage is we're getting all ready tomorrow. We're actually heading out of state for about a week, but um, we're going to do a completely new adventure, um, something we've never tried before. And uh, uh, I'm not going to give away too many details, right. but we're going west, and uh, it should be a real good time. You're going west. All right, so you're trying something you haven't tried before. So, I mean, you guys do some pretty funky stuff, and that's why I wanted you to join here. I've actually had... You are one of the very few people that I have had email requests from our listeners to say, I want Jared Scheffler on your show. Oh, well, well, well that's that, that interesting. Uh, I'm very humbled to hear that. <laughs> you know, of, of all the people that are out there, I don't think I, I, I very rarely get a request to have somebody on as frequently as you. Oh, really? Yep. And I'm not joking. Well, it, it's what are it you is trying to make me blush here or what? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to 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 boost your ego or anything like that. But I literally have had one one two three requests that said you have got to go watch Jared's videos, and then you have got to get them on your podcast because they're doing some stuff that you just don't see. And sure. yeah, I want to learn more about how you do it, why you do it, and all that kind of stuff, and see if we can break it down and, and maybe get other people to try what you do and give us some tips and pointers on how you do it. Because I, I got to sure. tell you this, the, some of the videos I've seen blow me away. I, I just yeah. stuff. You're outside the box, which I love. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a culmination of a few different things um, for people that maybe aren't familiar with, you know, our video series and what we do each year is um, we target specifically lands that are open for public hunting. Okay. And the past, this will actually be the fifth season now where we have hunted exclusively, you know, on foot, on the ground, um, in more of a, uh, you know, uh, a more of an aggressive, like still hunting, stalking whitetails, getting ahead of them um, type of fashion. So it does get a little chaotic at times, a little crazy at times. Um, but I want to go back to, um, what kind of made us, you know, want to do the public land series. Um, yeah, let's talk about public is, land. Uh, so why, why public land in the first place? Um, my cousin, uh, Jim, and I, uh, we're, we're kind of the main people at the beginning here in the, in the videos. And, uh, you know, we've been hunting buddies for a long time. We grew up hunting, you know, private land and by permission stuff. You know, we both grew up on farms, you know, had a lot of neighboring farmers. Oh, yeah, go ahead, you know. But, you know, essentially, we hunted a lot of public land, too. Um, and then, you know, we did that until we got old enough and kind of went, you know, you get out of high school and you move, move on or whatever. And, you know, I myself actually acquired some really good land in Buffalo County, Wisconsin hmm. that, you know, I was blessed to be able to hunt there, you know, and it was great hunting and I enjoyed it and I had a, I had a good time, but, um, part of that for me, um, and this isn't the case for everybody, but for myself and my, my cousin who had some other land that he, you know, hunted, you know, we just, it didn't really have that adventure in that new place kind of, there's something about like, what's over the next hill? What's around that corner? I've never been there before. There's something about the mystery behind that, that, uh, it's, it's addictive. Hmm. Um, and you find that, you you find that on public land and not on private land. Is that what you're saying? Well, and I think the only reason that you don't find that maybe so much on private land or we didn't is because we were hunting just one or two places, you know, whereas with public land, you know, you have more acreage than you and I could ever get to across several states or even even in my state of Wisconsin, you know, right. I'd have a hard time getting to all of it, you know. So you've got an endless amount of 
um, opportunity there with acreage and and hunting different situations, whether it's hills or marshes or creek bottoms or or what whatever. You can pick a new spot every day if you want. Right. <laughs> you can go many many years, and um, we really like that that mystery behind not knowing what's there. You know, we don't do any police gunning, we don't do any um, running cameras. Um, not because we don't think that they're the, those are great techniques or methods or tools. We you know we just partly we're still busy with. <laughs> other things going on myself running the business and then most of the other guys they've got hmm. you know full you know people just it's life you know you've got a lot going on and it's hard sure. to get out there but, but also we we really like i said we like that mystery of not knowing what's there and um it just seems like it's a little bit more exciting when it does like come together and it's like whoa it's hunting season i've got my wet you know bow in hand i you know i've never seen this deer before you know, and it's it's just it really gets gets you kind of wound up, I guess. Um, I can so that's man, I, a little I, bit. Go I, ahead. I do understand where you're coming from, and Dusty, chime in here anytime. Um, is that when you're when you're hunting a new piece of property the first time? And there, there is a, a very special situation there. Every time the excitement, you're you're sky high. Usually, I mean, it's mm-hmm. there's an adrenaline, and that well, your your show is what whitetail adrenaline. But yeah, there is an adrenaline there that uh, you don't get if you know the land every time, unless the deer comes there. But just just not knowing the land is an adventure in itself. I, I feel I feel exactly what you're saying. Right, and I guess to kind of maybe utilize a couple of analogies here, it's. It's kind of in some ways like every time we step into a new piece, it's almost like stepping into a new vehicle or, or, you know, in the dating world, you know, the bliss can wear off after a little while, you know, but every time you meet a new girl, there's always, you know, uh, (laughs) or you go on a new date, there's always a, there's always a bliss period, you know, and, and, you know, that's kind of a little bit how it is with when you're going into something new like that. You do have that, that excitement and that, you know, what's so exactly what you described there. Do you, do you date women uh, quite often new ones or? No, I actually don't. I, <laughs> I'm i single most of the time and non-dating most of the time. I'm just all over the place. So I, didn't, I didn't, maybe that was a bad analogy to use. But, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully there's, there's no... Uh, female huntress out there that was interested in you because i think you just uh pretty much shut down your dating for a little <laughs> while no i don't i don't think there's any of them interested in me uh, are you um, an so you're an eligible bachelor is that correct jared well i'm just so all over the place and you know uh whether it's on the road to shows or during the hunting fall that um that uh, I don't think they'd be interested very long. <laughs> <laughs> so your whitetail comes before ladies, is that correct? Well, I don't want to say that. You know? okay. All right. Um, All right. What, do you, what, you know, what are you going to do? I haven't met the right one maybe yet. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> what are you going to do when you find one that likes the whitetail hunt more than you do? Is that, that possible? That likes, white, that likes the whitetail hunting more than I do? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I'm a one day, uh, one day at a time kind of guy, I guess. Um, well, not all the time, but, but you know, like I kind of, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to take that. If that happens, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. All right. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So back to whitetails. Enough, enough about ladies. Let's, let's get back yeah. to whitetail hunting. So you guys, does, is there a core group of you, uh, that makes up your, your band of hunting friends? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's only about five to six of us, but there's really, I'd say the, you know, there's really about four, three or four of us that are, you know, there, um, you know, for most of the, or a lot of the footage. Um, you know, the bow stuff, 
um, Shay Peterson and myself, um, the last couple of years have really kind of taken that. And I'd say that, that, uh, he's, you know, along with myself, the, the main yeah, characters within that production. Um, and then my cousin, uh, he's, I'd say the main character along with Scott, uh, Scott Meska. He's been with, you know, hunting with us, uh, for the past five seasons and, you know, we're all just, uh, you know, really good friends. We get along really good. You know, we don't have, like, flare-outs and arguments, you know, too often. You know, and even sure. if we, we do, we don't, we don't, uh, it doesn't build up. So, so you, know, you know what I mean? So we get along great, I guess. And I think that's really important. And, and uh, we like to keep it small like that. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, we'd like to go hunting with or we think we might have a good time with. But it really, it's, it's really hard to produce the, the content, keep the content what it is, uh, you know, and make sure that we have, you know, that group camaraderie and having a good time joking around. It's just, we like to keep it small. You know, we haven't had any issues there. So. Gotcha. How long have you known each other? Um, well, you know, like my, my cousin Jim, obviously we've known each other all our life. And then, um, uh, Scott, uh, he's, uh, I've known him for five years and, uh, Shay for about four years. And, uh, it seems like, I mean, Shay and I, we, we hit it off so well that people think we're brothers when we go to shows all the time. I mean, hundreds of times we've been asked because, you know, not only do we kind of look somewhat, we have some similarities, but we get along like we're brothers. Like, you know, we give each other a hard, hard time and, and take it, you know, so, um, and then my, my buddy Al there that's in the videos, um, we've been friends since high school. So, gotcha. um, all right. So you guys, yeah. you guys have, have some history together. And when did you, have you always hunted from the ground? Is that seems to be like one of your things to be on the ground. Have you always done that? Or is that something newer than, than what you used Um, to do? Sure. Um, no, I haven't always hunted on the ground. I've exclusively hunted on the ground since the start of 2010, but, um, I've hunted the first time I can remember hunting on the ground was when I was 16. And there was a public land piece, and I spotted two big ones out in it, and it was all grass. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to lose. I'm going to go out after them. And I never got them, but I got close enough to taste the, the, the you know, the success. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in maybe if I was experienced, as experienced as I am now, I probably would have gotten it done. Um, it was, I missed, I blew the shot. But, of course, I've, I've blown shots in recent years, too. But, um <laughs> Sure. But, we've uh, all blown shots. Well, I don't know if Dusty has, but we've all blown shots. I don't know if Dusty has. Well, I certainly have. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, it's part of hunting. If you if you say you haven't, then uh, I think you're telling a fib. Right. I agree. Right. So it, yeah. so the, the ground hunting kind of something you grew into, um, was it at that, that one moment you decided that I'm going to do this from now on? It was, it was really a culmination of a couple of things. Um, one thing is I had always loved hunting on the ground. Um, you know, just my weapon, the simplicity of it, just I spot that deer and I'm going after him or getting ahead of him. And even before the videos, I'd say that I shot most of my deer on the ground. Um, but yet I hunted out of tree stands more. Mm. It was only in certain situations where I would do that. And it never really dawned on me because I was kind of stuck in this paradigm of doing what I had done for so long. And that is uh, play the cat and mouse with the tree stands game. And um, it dawned on me uh, after our 2009 season, that was our second season of exclusively public lands, and we had been getting a little bit more aggressive 
it, I, I realized that. And I'm like, you know, it seems like every time we get aggressive, you know, we get better results. And then I like it better just from a, even if I didn't film, that's how I'd hunt, you know. It, it's really got nothing to do with the reason why I would do that anyways, I, I, I think. I'm, I'm addicted to that type of hunting. Sure. But... Also, we we knew we had to we had to step up the level of content and the, the amount of action, and we wanted you know public land is what we enjoy hunting and doing, and we also only had one camera. So I've been there for everything we've ever filmed, usually running the camera, but sometimes as a hunter too. Um, and to, I'm a little bit of a from a producer standpoint, I'm a little bit of a of a I like to control it. You know, I like to know I like to be there. Whether it's running the cam, you know, running the camera, I, it's almost like I have to be there. It's hard. I just to keep the flow and the story the way that I want, and to know that it was legitimately filmed on public lands yep. or you know lands open for public hunting. Um, we've always kept it that way. But in order to step up that level of you know the amount of footage we needed to get to say, hey, why would somebody want to pay fifteen dollars to buy our DVD to watch four four or five deer get you know shot? You know that's we just felt like we we needed to figure out a way to ramp that up and so we just decided hey you know what the footage we thought was cooler too on the ground you know or new and fresh and people would really it would captivate people so we said you know what let's just take a whole season and just do it and see what happens well we did that and it was a significant you know rise in opportunities and encounters and and um and everything. And ever since then, it seems like every year it ramps up even higher. Hmm. Um, in, in a, in a, and I feel like it's almost got to a certain point where some people probably question whether it's legitimate or not. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, but you know, I mean, when people watch the videos, they can see, you know, we have is, is situations where we have game warden stops and, and different things come up, you know? Right. Um, so I think at the end of the day, I mean, I would be a fool to, to not keep it legit because eventually I will get caught and then, and then, it, you know, it wouldn't be good. Right. So now is the bow also a piece of this whole strategy? The what? The bow, bow and arrow. Are you using just bow and arrow or are you, are you, most of the videos I see is bow and arrow, but on occasion there's a gun thrown in. Is, is the yep. bow and arrow on the ground part of the strategy too? Yeah, absolutely. The, the bow, that's what I prefer. Um, so I would say, you know, in our earlier videos, it was probably about 50% bow, 50% gun, but it's gotten the last couple, two to three years, it's, it's been more bow footage than, than gun footage. Our gun stuff is, is more about, you know, three, four buddies getting together, really small orchestrated drives typically. And we try and capture that group camaraderie, having a good time. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people do like that, uh, them, them small little deer drives we do. Um, that's kind of how we go about it on the gun side of things. Um, I know, Jay, you do some tracking in the snow which, yep. uh, with your bow as well, which I find yep. really, really uh, intriguing and difficult at the same time. And my hat's off to you for that. Well, I, and I wouldn't say I'm being super successful at it, but I do enjoy the, the hunt that way. Sure. It's addictive. But you've gotten some that way too, haven't you? I have, yep. Well, that's that's all that. Uh, I mean, I'd say our. You know, I don't know what the rate is, but more times than not, we go after a deer and and we don't get it on the ground like that. But right. it's. I think. I think if every time we went out there to stalk a deer, if we got it, 
we wouldn't, it wouldn't be as addictive. We right. wouldn't have that challenge. Do you think it's an advantage being on the ground or now that you know what you know, or, or do you think there's more Absolutely. of it? It is. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I believe so. Um, for a few different reasons, um, the, the, from a public land aspect, um, the biggest thing about hunting on the ground is we can officially get it in and out of places a lot quicker. Um, so let's say I go on a new adventure, a new state, or even a state I've been to in the past, and let's say I've got three, four, five days. Um, well, if I've never been there before, or if it's been a year since I've been there, chances are things have changed a little bit. Right. And maybe, and, you know, whether it's private or public, spots go hot and cold all the time. And with public land on the ground like that, when we get into places and they're cold, we just keep moving. We don't we don't wait for them to get hot. We just keep moving until we find those hot spots. And, you know, typically we, we do find them um, a lot quicker than waiting for a spot to get hot that maybe was in the past. Um, we, I feel like on the ground, a person has a lot more control of the outcome of their season. Now, if you're hunting, say, 20 or 40 acres or something like that exclusively throughout the year, it's going to be kind of hard to, <laughs> you know, keep hunting that on the ground, you know, still hunting through it without blowing all the deer out and, and whatnot. Right. Um, so I'm talking, you know, on a aspect where you have a quite a bit of acreage or you're targeting public land. Um, I do feel that. And I also feel like, and I've noticed this especially in, in the last couple of years, I've had more and more people be like, you know, I went, I spotted this buck and I did exactly like you guys did. I climbed out from my tree stand. We did that uh, way back in the day before we did exclusively on the ground, you know, and I went after this buck, they say, and sometimes they get them. And, but a lot of times they get close enough to taste like, man, if I'd have just done this one thing differently, I would have got that deer. And all of a sudden it's, like it's almost like they explain it it's almost like a light bulb they're like i never would have you know like i would have never thought that i could sneak up on deer like that before so i think more people have the ability to effectively hunt on the ground than Mm -hmm. what they maybe uh give themselves credit for or believe you know um yeah i think that's that's kind of that is kind of the mentality is that you hunt from a tree tree stand or uh from a distance because you don't think you can get that close Right. Generally speaking. Absolutely. Now, are, yeah. are you, how do you, how do you guys know when you're in a hot spot? Usually that is determined in lately. It comes down to a visual. Usually, um, I keep still hunting through a woods. Let's say it's a woods or doesn't matter what the terrain is. Almost always I'll be still hunting through that, that, uh, that piece. And unless I spot one, I just keep still hunting and I keep moving. Uh, uh, except for the rare, rare occasion where I noticed, you know, lots of fresh, you know, I mean, super insanely fresh tracks and just the sign. And you just have that feeling like, Hey, if I park it here and uh, and a lot of times in those situations, it might be something that I've only got 45 minutes of light left. And I come across in the woods and I'm like, you know what, this is, I've walked a lot of this. This is the best thing that I've seen in here, I've only got 45 minutes left. I'm just going to park it right here for this gotcha. 45 minutes. But a lot of times I keep moving um, until I get a visual. That's what I'm typically going for is a visual because once we have a have a beat on them, 
usually getting within bow range isn't the isn't the hardest battle. It's usually pulling off the shot because a lot of times when you got two guys out there, uh, we film everything on the fly. We don't go back and refilm anything. Right. So you get two guys out there that exposed. It's very hard to get. You can get within bow range, but by the time you're you you get that clear shot, it's like as soon as they have give you the the clear shot, they're spotting you as well. And gotcha. And that's one of the trickiest parts, I think, about hunting on the ground is just simply pulling off the shot. There's a lot more variables, and you have a lot less time to process the information when a deer, when a mature buck is, you know, snaps his head to look at you, and it's like now or never. You you can rush shots. You can forget to aim low. You can do all those things, and, and I mean that you knew not to do, but just because of the time that you're 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 dealing with, you maybe don't think about it, right? Or I'm, I'm, process it as quick. So I'm gonna I'm back you up just a little bit. Can you explain yeah. when you say you're steel hunting through the woods? If we got a listener that may not know what that means, can you kind of break that down a little bit and tell us what you mean when you're steel hunting through the woods? Okay, when I'm still hunting through the woods, we we we've re, re, recently we've called it snooking. We sneak and look, sneak and look around. It's, it's kind of an inside joke, but yeah, snooking. Yeah, snooking. we sneak and look. We're gonna go in here All and right. sneak and look. We're gonna go snooking. Let's okay. go snooking. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah. um, a new term right here on the Big Buck Podcast once again, Dusty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You love Snooking. it. Well, it's, it's Shea Peterson originated that one. That wasn't for me. I just stole it from him. I love so, it. But um, And he's the, the the main character in our bow video here. But um, basically, uh, when I go still hunting through a piece, I'm not really all that still a lot of times unless – I get that feeling or I'm coming across stuff where I feel like I should slow it down. I I judge my, or I gauge my speed, how fast I go through a piece by what I am seeing and how I'm feeling about it, which there's no way that I can really describe that and say, well, you should walk this fast or that fast because um, I think it's important to, the more you do it, I think the more you gain a sense, with, just like with anything, the more experience you gain with it, you gain a sense of feeling for right. what to do in certain situations. And I think, you know, a lot of times we'll cruise right through a piece um, pretty quickly because maybe it doesn't feel right or doesn't look right to us, you know. But if we kept at a really slow pace the whole time, we wouldn't cover that ground that we need to. Um, so the, and, the, and there's there's fast snooking and slow snooking. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There's there's fast and there's slow. And, um, you know, when you get into a spot where you just feel, you get that gut feeling, hey, I should, I feel like I should slow it down or I feel like there's going to be deer just up ahead. You know, that's probably the time to, to, to do the slow snook. <laughs> gotcha. Now, yeah. I know you said so. it, it's difficult to describe. Um, mm hmm because it's it's almost like you have to uh, trial and error experience it to understand it. Can you slow it down a little bit and like take take one of your hunts, take it down to like a five minute thing when just kind of walk me through what's going through your mind as you're starting to see the things you like to see. Can you kind of close your eyes and visualize that and 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 explain that? Okay, um, let's uh, let's talk about a hunt that happened last year. Um, it's got a few different things that I like about it. That's going to add some value here. I think for the people listening is, uh, we did a hunt in Iowa and we utilized this boat, right? Mm -hmm. And we would use this boat to access different spots, um, you know, public along the, the water. And we, uh, there's a spot we got into, we spotted a, a big block down in right away. And, uh, you know, we tried to make a move on them, didn't get them. 
you know, and uh, quickly just pulled out of there. You know, we knew the spot was cold, right? So now we're now we're going a lot quicker. Hmm. We're getting out of there. Um, so we went uh, we went to we motored, jumped back in the boat, motored to another place. All right. Um, actually, before we got uh, even onto the boat, we uh, spotted a uh, a doe just inside the woods with a couple of bucks. All right. So we had a visual right there. And although they weren't a shooter and they kind of ran off, we quickly got out of the boat and just tiptoed in there a little bit. And pretty soon they did circles back. We knew they were kind of in the area. This was kind of during the rut. So that was a case where we kind of, you know, slow snuck, I guess you could say. And then slow um, snooking. Yeah. Eventually they kind of went off a different direction and, uh, they were kind of out of there, and and like I said, you know, I had the tag. I wasn't interested in shooting shooting either one of them. Um, so then we we slow snuck for a little ways over this next ridge, not in the direction that they went. You know, we didn't see anything necessarily that made us feel like we should keep going at that slow pace. So we quickened it up some. You know, and we spent probably a couple hours in that. I mean, there's, I don't know if it was probably a hundred acres right of timber right in there. You know, so we spent yeah. a couple hours. You know, making a loop through it. We'd never hunted it or been in there before. You know, well, then it's about oh, we've maybe got 45 minutes to an hour of light left. Okay, we've kind of fast went through this and realized that you know uh, it wasn't worth hanging around for the rest of the evening. So we jumped back in the boat and we motor. We're motoring along and stopping the boat and glass and stuff and we spotted you know a big one about three quarters of a mile away um up on some public and so we went and obviously now we're in fast mode okay so that didn't work out it got dark it just never worked out um the next morning we go into that spot the original spot where we had almost got this one that we played a move on well we got we got in there before sun up this time you know um to set up rather than still hunt right yep and uh Shortly after sunup, um, a few hunters actually trickled in. Um, and here's a prime example of how easy it is to just relocate when you're on the ground like that. All I had to do in this case was grab my bow and let's get back to the boat and go to the next place. We're going to leave this for these guys. You know, gotcha. I'm not here to, I don't emotionally attach myself to places um, mm. or deer. And that allows, you know, and not just myself, but any of us, we've gotten really good at that where we just keep moving and we don't, just because a spot was hot yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be, or, or just because it's hot today doesn't mean it's going to be tomorrow. And so, you know, in this case, three hunters moved in and uh, they were spooking deer the whole time they were coming in. We were like, well, what are these deer running from? Well, they showed up. So we quickly just got out of there and we went and motored, you know, three quarters of a mile away to some timber. And we had actually been in that piece uh, a couple of days before that and seen some smaller bucks running around or whatever. And we just, you know, so we kind of knew from those sightings and it wouldn't have mattered whether it was two days before or right that day. We kind of knew that there was a decent amount of deer within that wood somewhere, probably, you know, we just had that feeling and we had seen them in there. So here's a case where we, we went at kind of a slow to medium speed, you know, where we're taking maybe four or five steps. You know, and we're looking the whole time we're taking those steps and they're slow steps. And then, you know, not not stopping, but four or five really slow steps watching while you're walking. And then we stop. And a lot of times I'll use the binoculars in the woods and, and glass the woods. And we did that for probably an hour. And then I spotted a small buck laying down up ahead and 
and pretty soon, pretty soon we rattled in three bucks and almost got a shooter. And rattling is something I usually don't do. In this case, I didn't have a big one spotted, but I figured there was a reason he was laying there, so I tried to draw something out. Um, and uh, there, there happened to be. <laughs> but um, we never got a shot. We made a big loop. We didn't give up there. We said, okay, all right, there's something up on this ridge. Let's make a big loop and get up there. Gotcha. And because uh, there's too many bucks congregated there. So here again, we kind of in the spots where we could pick up the pace, we did um, where we knew we weren't, you know, we're trying to get way up, you know, on the spot where these where we think suspect they are. We're, we're going as fast as we can. Once we have one spotted, what we do is we move as fast as we can when we're able to, if that makes sense. We want to close that distance as quick as possible. What does that mean? Able You're only going to say there's certain. What's that? What does that mean when you say able to? Um, let's say the terrain allows us like, okay, we're going to make a loop on this deer and there's no way he's going to be able to see us or hear us. We're going to, while we're making that loop, we're going to run whatever we got to do to cover that distance as quick as we can, because he's only going to stay where he's at for so long, whether that's five minutes or five hours. Um, you know, and there's been multiple times where I look back and I'm like, 30 seconds too late or a minute too late if we had just ran there or went a little bit faster and we could have there's no way he would have you know seen us or heard us you know we would have got there in time so i always try or we always try and cover that distance when we're able to go as quickly as possible um okay getting kind of back to the story so we're coming up on this ridge and we sensed that there was something up on this ridge so here's where we're like going ultra slow now you know we're taking you know, maybe a step and then looking for 20, 30 seconds and then maybe another step, hmm. you know, um, and glass, you know, we binoculars were handicapped or felt. That's one thing that it's almost like a must, um, for our style of hunting. Um, so, and it, it didn't take very long. And in fact, um, we spotted a, you know, a big one with a doe and, uh, and then the game began. It was a very difficult stock through this low brush timber, and um, it ended up taking a total like eight hours to sneak in and stock this deer. Wow. And most of that time, we were within 100 yards of him. We just, there was other bucks, you know, that were lingering around. Um, you know, they were just waiting for their opportunity. Well, they blocked us from being able to close that distance. Um, so we had to wait for the right time and make a couple more loops in there and everything. Um, so that's kind of a, a little bit of an example of what you described there, and it's probably a little longer than five minutes. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that makes total sense. So if yeah. uh, let's go back to the the comment you made about you don't get emotionally attached to a spot or to a deer. No. Did that come from trial and error? Is that just because I mean, if a hunter comes in, then there's no big deal. Uh, you just move on. And it, does that make you more flexible? It definitely makes us a lot more flexible. Um, I think it was something that we kind of, I don't remember how it came to us, but I feel like it was something that we just kind of naturally realized once we started hunting public land and on the ground. I, I think it was around 2010 when we kind of realized that, where we're, we're bumping around and we're hitting all these pieces of public and we're getting all these opportunities that we would have never gotten if we would have been more passive or more like in the past where we go in, hang some sets, and, and uh, wait to see what happens. Well, all of a sudden, I think it dawned on us, you know what's going on here is we're not getting emotionally attached to these spots. We could take it or leave it. We've, there's another spot just up the road or, you know, 20 minutes drive or whatever. Right, right. around the corner, there's, there's more opportunities. There's more spots. It's not that big a deal. Another hunter comes along, oh, such is life. It's public land. That's the way it is. No big deal. It's probably not the spot I want to be anyway. That type of mentality 
just, I think that's when we realized, hey, we're not really locking ourselves down here. And I guess in a way, I, I think the more, the more, that's partly why I don't pre-scout anymore, um, is because pre-scouting, the only thing I need to know the day I show up to hunt is whether that spot is hot or not. And the only way I'm going to know that is the day I'm there hunting. Mm-hmm. And too many times in the past, I look back at spots that I pre-scouted, and what would happen is I would go there in the fall, and I wouldn't hit it most of the times when that when it was actually hot. So then you end up kind of waiting for it, and by the time you're waiting for it, you're kind of slowly burn that spot out too, um, or you completely miss it because spots a lot of times they go hot and cold for just a few short days, many times. Um, so. But but in the meantime, the more time I invest in a spot, and I think this goes for um, not just myself, but just I think just us as humans, the more we invest in anything, whether it's working on a car, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, you know, uh, pre-scouting this one piece or this one spot or figuring out this deer, we're going to begin to attach ourselves to that. And it's we're going to have, have, the more we do it, the more we have a hard time letting go. So what would happen before when I used to pre-scout is I'd get my hopes all up, I'd imagine how it's all going to unfold, and then... I almost want to see it through. Like, there's no way. I, I envisioned it too strong. It's got to happen. And then all of a sudden, we're halfway through the season or through the halfway through the rut or spent the better part of the week hunting this one spot that we had built this imagination that it was going to be great all year long, I guess you could kind of say. Right. And so what I've found in recent years is by hunting on the ground, I can just, you know, I'm not emotionally attaching myself to these spots, so I can just boom, 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 just keep moving. Whether another hunter shows up, whether that spot's cold, doesn't matter. I just keep moving until I find when they're hot. And when they're hot, I'm there, uh, you know, um, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Dusty, does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. So would you recommend that um, people give this a shot instead of um, hanging tight on their tree stand that they were going to hunt that day? I would say each person's got to define what hunting is to them and, and whether the, it's it's for them or not. You know, uh, I do what I do or we do what we do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be that way for anybody else. A lot of people enjoy uh, pre-scouting and figuring spots out and enjoy running cameras and enjoy the tree stand sets or the ground blind sets, you know, and things like that. And as long as they're having a good time and enjoying it, then I would say stick with that. Um, and if it's working, stick with that. Uh, you know, Einstein defined insanity of doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So, you know, if somebody, let's say if somebody's listening right now and they're saying, wow, the last Last few years, I haven't been getting the results I'm looking for, but I don't believe this works. I would say, why not try it and see what you got to lose? Right. If you're not happy with what you've been getting, and I've had, like I said, many, many people that have came to me and said, I would have never thought this would have worked, or I could have been, done this or that, and so I think people will find that they'd be surprised at what they can what they can accomplish hunting on the ground or still hunting or stalking, going after a, an animal. So, yeah, I, I'm going to back you on that. My, I've yeah. got four bucks on the wall that were uh, stationary ground and pounds. Um, yeah. You know, that it's something, it, you know, it's really something to experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing is you've experienced that and a lot of people haven't, that on the ground close right there. You're at eye level. I yeah. call it. Um, I call it being in the same world. Like, yeah, absolutely. You can you know, almost, you, yeah, go ahead. You you can almost sense their their actions before they do it when you're right there on the ground with them. 
Right, and you know that any second they're gonna they're gonna peg you. Yeah, for know. sure. You know, and I, I, it was one of them things where uh, not trying to tell story time here for myself, but I found a spot where the the bucks were actually crossing between uh, two tree lines, and there was like a low area there. I know that they was crossing there. There was there was tracks and and markings of some nice uh, hooves. You know, obviously I can see what a nice buck lo- hoof looks like and. They was uh, crossing there. It was a major corridor for them, and you know, I just set up right there on the major corridor, and there it happened four times back to back consecutively. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Four, yeah, yeah, four back to back. Four years in a row, same spot. My brother couldn't believe it. I took him with me because he did not believe me. And that's something you found because you're roaming. Is that correct, Dusty? Yeah, actually driving down the road. And I happened to see him cross there several times. I'm like, man, that's a great spot. Hmm. And the guy that I hunted on owned the land. He said, yeah, go right ahead. Sure enough, sure. got in there and, and smashed four in a row. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. That's incredible. Now, I've got a question for you that uh, came to mind when you are talking about that is, you know, and you said you did you got all four of those on the ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. Setting setting on my butt on the ground and growed up grass. Sure, and there, so there wasn't really a whole lot of options for maybe a tree set there, or was there? There, there was options there, yeah, absolutely. Sure. But it felt sure. that the the concave of the area, you know, it had like a natural valley there. And, sure. uh, and all I could pick out driving down the road was heads crossing through there. Hmm. I was like, man, that looks real interesting. There must be a hill there that falls off. And it was just yeah. a dip in the ground. It was probably six foot, maybe, uh, almost like okay. a, a waterway. Okay. And uh, Well, when you're telling that story right away, it made me think that since I've started hunting on the ground, there's a lot of situations I find myself in where I'm like, oh, this is a great spot. And I look around just thinking, like, where would I have ever put a tree stand here? Right. I, I, I agree to that. Absolutely. You know, so I guess I wasn't sure whether there was or wasn't, but... And even when you do have that available tree stand, like in your spot, you found that there was a spot there on the ground where it just felt more natural to be, you know, and to set up on them. It's real interesting, you know. It's something that I can admit that I missed that spot. I probably still can hunt that spot, and I haven't. Uh, sure. You know, I've moved on to different adventures, but I missed that spot just because it was it, it was so rewarding to uh, what I call ground and pound. Yeah. Uh, it was it was unique, you know. You, I'm listening to you talk, and it just you know, it gives me the same feeling. You, I know that feeling, and it's it's an unbelievable feeling. Yep. Oh yeah. I, I absolutely. Lo- I like being on eye level with the deer. I think that's just that's the thrill of a lifetime, right there. And you can do it over and over once you figure out how to get close. How right. how close? I mean, I, some of your videos that you've been so close, you probably could have reached out and touched them on the nose. From if I'm not mistaken, Jared, is that uh, is that how close do I you have, like to get before you take the shot? Well, there's no doubt about it. I like them as close as I can possibly get them for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, years ago, I used to get excited about shooting deer at you know, say, 60 yards. And, and whatnot, but, or long range, we'll just say that, Yeah. you know, but, you know, I did that a few times and it, it's, it's, you know, neat to say, Hey, I could, I pulled off that shot, but there's something about for right now I'm on this, like, how close can I get kick on almost? <laughs> gotcha. And it, the closer you can get, the more of a rush and excitement that you, you get. Now we haven't been close enough to, to touch any yet, but, um, you know, I've had, you know, a few different individuals outside of, you know, our videos and stuff that have come to, up to me at a show or whatever and told me stories about situations where they've, you know, 
hunted on the ground and yep. touched this deer or been a yard away, you know. Um, I did, I shot, the closest one I've ever shot was last season, and that was right in that uh, seven yards or, you know, right, right, basically we'll say seven yards. It was six and a half, seven yards. Right. Um, that's the closest that I've shot one at. Um, so, and we've had many of them inside of 15 yards that we've shot, and that's, that's right where we like them. Um, now are you shooting? You know, one other. Go ahead. Is is the when you're shooting that close? Are you using a compound or is this uh, a recurve? Um, the rest of the guys use compound, and I used compound up until um, 2011 was the last time I shot a compound. Okay. Um, and that was the last season I hunted with a compound. In fact, the last arrow I shot out of a compound was at a deer that I missed. <laughs> gotcha. Um, in 2011. Since then, yes, I've taken up the long pole. Um. And, uh, you know, but even like Shay, uh, like, uh, my partner there, he, um, he's taken several inside of 15 yards, um, on the ground, uh, which brings up another interesting aspect that we've kind of discovered over the last few seasons is on the ground, your shot angles, um, can be different. Um, yes. In fact, a lot of times we find that we get caught in situations where a head on shot is all we've got or that deer you know, whether that deer sees us in the head on shot is all we got, or it's literally going to walk us right over. Um, and, uh, it kind of came as an accident in 2010. I had one come up and it was, it was right at like 19 or 20 yards. I was already drawn back on it, had the pin on it, uh, you know, and it was walking and I was waiting for it to maybe stop. And all of a sudden, rather than stop, I didn't want to stop it because I was fully exposed right there. All of a sudden, it just turned and started walking right at me. And then I was like, oh, this thing's going to spot me. Well, it spotted me. And then, you know, I didn't know what to do. I've never shot a deer head on. All right. So I had the pin right on its chest. And I'm like, I should probably just wait. Maybe it'll turn. Like, it had me spotted and it hadn't busted yet. And I was like, it could turn just enough before it takes off to give me a shot. And I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, and obviously, I'm holding the compound. It's, it's, you know, as the seconds roll by, I'm getting a little weaker, a little weaker. Well, all of a sudden, my finger popped off the trigger, like off it. And then I went to set it back on and I set it on a little too hard. And I, uh, thankfully, I had the pin right there, right, right dead center in the chest. Yeah. You know, and at first I was like, oh no, what did I, what did I do here? Um, because I'd always heard it was a, it was a bad, bad shot, bad angle, you know, don't do that. Right. But, um, it turned out to be, you know, a great blood trail. The animal only went, you know, maybe a hundred, 110 yards. And it, it made me evaluate like, why is, why was that such a lethal shot when I've heard forever that it's not? And it, I realized that, you know, I mean, it's pretty easy to see why from the ground level, um, you don't have that angle. Like that's a, that's, I think a lot more of a dangerous shot from say a tree stand angle. But from the ground level, you don't have that angle. So there's so many different vitals that your your arrow gets to right. um, when, when that animal is facing head on. Um, and since then, we almost pray for that shot. Uh, that's like the shot that we want. Um, it seems like most deer, and looking back on it too, most of the deer that I've seen or you heard about or whatever, they're most of the time broadside deer. Um, even from a tree stand angle, but I still think that that's probably the best, best angle from a tree stand. But getting back to the ground side of it, you know, we've, we've had phenomenal results head on the quickest, you know, I mean, the deer 
they don't go very far and last very long from that shot, it seems like. And it, it seems like it, I don't want to say it can't go wrong. Any angle could. But it just, it's really surprised us. And I don't know why I got talking about that. But but it, uh, maybe it's just one of those things where if, if we didn't take that shot, there'd probably be a lot of, you know, times where that deer, you know, got away if we would have waited. Gotcha. So. Do you feel that you have to adjust your shot being that close do you practice at a closer range than normal um you know i guess shooting the long bow i i do i shoot at you know close but you know i also shoot out a little ways too um i think it's a little bit easier on some of those close shots at least from the ground level and when things are happening fast the long bow definitely has its advantages um as far as the compound was I guess I haven't really had that conversation to know how close the other guys really practice, um, but I'm sure they've, you know, they've practiced and shot it to make sure they're on at 10 yards. But, you know, the, the deer, I think they do reach a certain point where the closer they get, it's almost like it's the harder, you know, right. a lot. I don't know. There's just something about it. Yeah. I, I do think it can be a little more difficult at, say, you know, 10 yards than 15 or 20. And then, and then you go to like 25 to 35 and those deer have enough time to react so quickly. And yet they're close enough to, um, you know, they're close enough to where when that bow goes off, especially if they've already seen you, they can react a lot, but it's almost like they get past that. They get more out 40, 45, 50 yards or more. Even it seems like they don't react nearly as much. Um, so I've, I guess I've found that 25 to 35 yards is a very dangerous, dangerous range just because those, you know, at least for whitetails, they, they can react so quick. And then we've had really good results close range. Um, but, uh, you know, Shay, uh, had one last year that was, you know, 10, 12 yards away, something like that. And to this day, we have no idea what went wrong. He just been a phenomenal shot. He's shot deer, you know, inside of 15 yards. Um, you know, nine, 12 yards, and uh, we still don't know what happened, but the first shot, he, he missed that, that deer, and that might be a prime example of, of uh, you know, I get that close things, and it, it does get a little more difficult. I right, because yeah, we always talk about taking, you know, practicing at the 20, 30, 40 yard, maybe even 50 or 60 mm-hmm. yard pins, but we very rarely talk about the 10 yard shot or the 15 yard shot. Well, and I think that's partly due to a lot of times, you know, most hunters are stationary hunters and they might have, you know, stands set and a lot of times they strategically place those so they're not insanely right on top of the deer, like really close. Um, So that's maybe why we're so accustomed to, to, you know, practicing more at that kind of almost, almost like 20 yards is the minimum that we'd start at a lot of times. I can definitely relate to that. Um, back when I used to shoot a compound, you know, 20 yards is probably about as close as I, I got to the target when I shot. Right. Um, but we also weren't getting as close on deer back then as we are now. Gotcha. I got to do a, a, a quick gear rundown. We, I, I, you know, you're, you're talking seven-yard shots. What kind of camouflage are you guys wearing? Uh, <clears throat> that's, uh, I wouldn't say it's anything state-of-the-art. Um, in fact, I've got a... Uh, I've got kind of a wool snow camo-ish vest. It's not too white anymore, but a lot of times that's what I wear um, out in the woods, even if there's no snow, like with the fall leaves. Um, and then I'll have like an olive green shirt with sleeves. It's just solid olive green sleeves and, you know, maybe a brown hat. Um, 
there's probably definitely, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot better options that we could choose. Um, probably, however, in my experience of dealing with, with deer, by far the biggest factor is picking your times to move. Um, it, it almost doesn't matter what camouflage you're going to, I haven't come across any camouflage yet that if that deer is looking towards me, I am allowed to move. If that kind of makes sense. Right. I agree. Um, I agree to that. You know, and not to say that there aren't better, you know, options out there than what I use. Um, you know, I just kind of like to break it up a little bit and deer don't see the same types of, you know, color, all the colors that we see. Right. Um, and so that's not so much of an issue as much as, say, like the pattern and how you break it up. I think a lot of times, too, deer, they uh, they associate your your shoulders and head, that part of your body is what they recognize as a human a lot of times. Um, so sometimes when I'm getting close on a deer, I found myself in this situation many times where I call it the cat, the cat crouch or the cat leg position where with a long bow, you can pull the saw off of the compound. You really can't um, because you have to shoot it upright. But you can, I'll get right on my knees kind of, and I'll get, I'll just almost lay flat to the ground, but in a way that I can quickly kind of just come up when I need to. But that breaks up my whole head and shoulders outline. So they have a harder time, you know, they might see me, but they might not be able to detect what it is yet. And that might buy me a little bit more time. So I would say, though, by far, um, when you move is is the, the key. And when I move, if I'm sneaking up on an animal, and it's always a weight, that's all I hunt is, is deer. When I'm sneaking up on them, I'm never really moving unless I'm looking at them. Because there's many times where all of a sudden you just have to put on the brakes mid-step or, or whatever. And I've found many times whitetails will pick you off. Though it's it's like you know like just like you, when you sometimes think you see something out of your corner of your eye like what was that and you look over and you don't see anything and you kind of look for maybe ten seconds more oh well maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me right well whitetails will do that except for since that you know there's predators out there to get them they'll they'll stay in tune with you for minutes sometimes so you got to hold that stance for minutes hmm. and then they always do this they'll drop their head down to pretend like they aren't looking anymore. And that's when, in my early years, I'd go to take a step and they'd have me and they'd be like, yep, I'm out of here. But now I just wait for it. Like, yep, it's going to drop its head and pretend like it's not looking. It's going to pretend like it's eating or whatever. And it always does. And it always, all of a sudden, will snap up its head to try and catch you again. And you play that game for five, ten minutes, and all of a sudden, they, you, you can tell they, oh, I guess that's nothing at all. You know, and they kind of forget about you. And then you can go on your way. And it doesn't always work, but throughout the season, that happens repetitively with us. Um, situations come up like that. So that's another little thing that I've learned along the way. And that, that's just something that uh, you picked up uh, along the way. That you know, it's a, it's kind of like a tip that if yeah. you wait, if you wait them out, that they they might you know go ahead and overlook you and go back to their living their normal self. Hmm. Right, right. I always you know if if they haven't completely left the area yet, they either haven't haven't determined exactly what you are or haven't decided that you're a big enough threat yet one or the other and usually it's just i think that they haven't determined for 100 percent that you are what they think you might be right i agree to that uh is there any particular boots that you wear while you're doing all this uh snooking let's see the last three seasons maybe even four now the only thing that i've really worn is low top hiking shoes um that's that's all I really wear. In fact, I've enjoyed wearing them so much that I keep about three pairs with me in case they get wet. Um, when you're covering that much ground and you're on your, your feet, 
that much. It's just really nice. I've got larger feet for my size. I'm almost up to a size 12 and lugging around all that weight. It just, it gets to be a lot if you're trying to, you know, move gracefully through woods or whatever. Um, so I found low top hiking shoes, um, just allow me to walk all day and not feel like my feet are heavy. And when I get in situations where I need to crawl or I need to slow down my pace, I can, you know, like, let's say I'm halfway through a step and all of a sudden one spots me, I don't have so much weight on my leg. And, and pretty, I can't think of anybody that I haven't had wear a pair of low top hiking shoes with me that hasn't been like, this is really, this works out really nice. I like this. Uh, there's been times, you know, where we got to get into, you know, cross cricks or whatever like that. So what I'll do then is I'll bring a pair of uh, knee high rubber boots and I'll just carry my, my shoes with me and use the knee highs when I, when I need to. And also I'm in wet stuff all the time. All right. Gotcha. So. So yeah, I know that's a little unorthodox uh, and and everything, but that's that's what I do, and I I prefer prefer low top hiking shoes, I guess. Cool. The other thing too, when you're moving like that, your feet don't really get, or at least mine don't really get so cold, um, because uh, even moving just a little bit um, makes a big difference. Yeah, it keeps so. the circulation flowing for sure. Is there any right. particular type of scent cover that you guys would use while you while you're doing that? Um, not really. And there's a couple of reasons why, um, you can definitely beat a deer's nose. I don't, I don't believe that you can't. I used to do it back when I hunted alone. Um, I almost got cocky about it to the point where, you know, I'd almost like let him go downwind. Like, you know, if I was going to shoot him, like, Hey, I've got a better shot down there anyway. Like you, you can do it. You, you just, you go through all the steps and, you know, I wear the carbon masks and the trick to that, that I found is, you throw them in the dryer after every time, the masks. And if I didn't wear the masks, it was almost like game over. They had me. It got to that point where, you know, so <clears throat> back when I hunted solo like that, I figured out how to do it. And, and you know, it wasn't really an issue. But now, um, and a lot of, you know, here, this was back when I hunted, you know, like one or two spots right there near where I lived. And, you know, I could keep, you know, after I'm done hunting, I'm right back at the house. There's the washer dryer, you know, whatever I could. It was simple to do it. But now on all of our, you know, public land adventures, you know, we might drive through the night to a state. And right away we get there, we're checking stuff out. And, you know, we haven't really, you know, we don't really smell the best, but we don't really, I mean, we'd have to stop at a hotel and show everything up. And, and then you get so run down checking places out throughout the day that when you finally do get to a motel, let's say you've gotten your, your hunting clothes have gotten so, you know, sweated up or whatever, you know, you might have a couple, couple days worth of, of clothes, but by the time you, you you get into your day two or three, you're pretty run down. And by the time you get done hunting for the day, you just want to crash. You know, right. you don't want to, you know, it, it almost would stress you out to the point where, where, uh, and, and we tried to keep, you know, keep a system for beating their nose, but I think it just came down to, you know, two people out there in the woods and, and covering the kind of ground we cover and stuff, you know, it was just really hard to, to keep consistently beating their nose. So now it's just like, we don't really stress out with, and keep a system to any degree other than. You know, uh, when we spot them, we just try and, you know, either stay downwind or a lot of times we can't, it just doesn't allow us to work downwind. So we'll do what I call cheat, cheat the wind where, uh, if you've got a consistently blowing wind where it's not swirling or changing direction much, 
I'll keep it to where they, they have to pretty much be right on that scent stream in those situations to be able to smell you. So we'll come in in a way that they almost feel like they're downwind of any danger, but we'll keep it so our scent stream is just off them, if that kind of makes sense. And a lot of times that's the best route to come in on them because they feel safe that way. They're looking, you know, they're looking, uh, they're looking from the direction that they can't smell, you know, right. and uh, using their nose. And not always are they doing that, but you, if you can get good at learning how to do that, that's a really good technique. Or, you know, a lot of times we'll work at them crosswind. And that's the other thing, too. From the ground, you can manipulate that a little bit better, you know, using the wind. Because with a stationary setup, you're at the uh, mercy of however that deer moves in on you. And there's there's definitely times where we're out on our feet and it's like, shoot, that one got us. He smelt us. You know, I can, you know, several times in a season that happens to us. But once we have them spotted, usually we can, you know, get in our, you know, get in a situation where they're not going to be able to smell us. So. Do you, so you, when you do spot them, you try to go in downwind of where they are? One, once we spot them, if the downwind is the best, what I like to do is, uh, let's say I spot one. First thing I'm going to do is try and gauge, okay, what's this deer doing? Does, if he's on his feet, is he moving or does, do, do I get the feeling he's going to be headed somewhere quickly or is he just kind of going to be there a little while? If he's going to be there a little while, I'm probably going to try and make a, an attempt to move in on him right then and there. If if I sense that he's going someplace or I can see that he's going somewhere, I'm going to try and figure out how I can get ahead of him. And then last resort is if there's no way to do either one of those, then I'm going to maybe try to call to him. But most of the time, in my experience, calling can kind of be iffy, and at best it gives away your location a lot of times. So I don't yeah. like to do that. Good, a lot of times I like point. to lay quiet unless that's the last option. Or unless I've got one that's, uh, you know, across the line, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I'm need them on public in order to do anything with them. Then I might try, you know, then I'll try calling. Right. Um, but outside of that, I like to lay quiet. Um, but what I'll, once I determine that, once I determine whether I'm going to move in on him or where he's going or where I think he's going, then it's like, okay, how do I need to get there so that he doesn't smell me? Or, or excuse me, what's the best route that he's not going to see me, but still not smell me, if that makes sense. Yep. And a lot of times it isn't coming straight in from downwind. A lot of times it's using a crosswind or using like kind of like what I described where where he feels like I'm coming in from, from upwind maybe, you know, in some a lot of these situations. But it's not blowing directly. It's, it, the wind is blowing um, in a consistent direction. It's not swaying. So he, therefore, he's going to have to be right on that sense stream. Um, and I'm sure you've noticed this sitting in your stationary set where you've got a consistently blowing wind and you just keep checking your wind and it keeps blowing the same way. And you know, like, you have to have that deer shot before it gets right there. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, right. you're, yeah. you're pegged off right off the bat. You know, if it gets to that direct wind smell, you're done. Right, right. And so I'll do the same thing, but sneaking in on a deer where, like, okay, you know, I'm facing, you know, he thinks he can smell everything up in here, but he really can't, you know, unless until I get like directly on that scent stream. So if that kind of, does that make sense or yeah. not really? Yeah. yeah. It's one of the things where you, you, you know, to, just to explain that a little further, you find exactly where that, that breaking point is that you can push to before you get busted. Exactly. Gotcha. Because a lot of times their guard is down trying to watch that, that little sliver where they think they can smell. Does that make sense? Yeah, agreed. Yep, Jared. There was one one moment in a video where uh, looks like you were, you were pursuing a, a whitetail. You were, you were getting close, but then 
the hunter that was on the film said, don't move, don't move, don't move. How important, how important is it when you're getting that close to know when to move and when not to? That's the most important thing. Okay. Right, right there. Um, is knowing when to move, when, when not to move. And that's why when you're sneaking in on a deer, um, you have to, you absolutely have to keep eye contact with that animal or with all the other animals around. So let's say there's three, four deer. You, you can't move and be looking at the ground. Um, you have to use your feet and feel. And, you know, a lot of times I'll put my head where I can just move my eyeballs and look at the ground, you know, without moving my head. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so like, let's say I'm not moving. My body isn't moving at all. I'm looking at these deer and I'll just glance at the ground before I move to pick where I want to step, you know? And then, so I don't have to move my head at all. Um, so minimal movement and, and picking your times to move. Picking your times to move is by far the biggest biggest factor. And then the next biggest factor when you're getting close to that animal on the ground is it's probably going to happen really fast at that moment when it's like now or never. Mm. And the more you do it, you'll figure out when and what's going to happen. You'll be able to predict it a lot more. And what I mean by that is um, I shot a, a buck here last month and uh, – we had spotted this deer from about a half a mile away up on this hill, and uh, we had almost got him the night before. Um, but so we kind of knew he was in the area. Well, we spotted him. We got up on this big hill and sat there for a few hours. The next day, middle of the day, we spotted him get up and then bed back down in this tall grass. We knew we weren't going to be able to move in close enough to get a shot because we couldn't even tell exactly where he was bedded in there. We just knew that he disappeared in this grass. He's there. So we quickly moved in and covered the ground. Uh, Like I had kind of described earlier, you know, we covered as much ground as quickly as we could without, you know, while still staying concealed, which was very key as well in this particular situation because we were about 30 yards from where we wanted to be, which was about, we were were about 50, 60 yards from where we knew this deer kind of was. And we we were still 30 yards from where we wanted to get, and all of a sudden he came trotting out of this grass. So he's about 60 yards out or so. And, uh... I think he just came trotting out to do a little feeding or something, just a little snack snack for a few minutes, and he was going to jump back in his bed. So if we wouldn't have moved as quickly as we had right there to close that distance, we wouldn't have been in the right situation right there. Um, But let's move on a little bit further. So a couple minutes goes by, and this smaller nine-pointer comes walking right in on top of us, you know, maybe 15 yards away. And this big buck, he can't see what's going on here. And this, this nine-pointer busts us because we, we were in the, pretty much in the wide open. We had a little bit of knee-high grass, but we were kind of on this little crest of this hill. This, this nine-pointer was down a little dip, so we were basically skyline to him, and he took off out of there. Well, he got way out around in front of this big deer before this big one realized what was going on. Except by this point, this big one... Uh, he didn't know where the danger was now because he didn't, re- he didn't see all this go down. And there was a doe right next to him that was getting all nervous just as he was, and they didn't know what to do. And all at once, you know, this doe turns and starts running right down to us. And I know that we're kind of in the, you know, we're pretty exposed. We're going to get busted. So um, all this big one's following this doe down, just trotting uh, on a trot, you know, yep. 50, 40, 30, you know, and there's just a little tiny bit of grass in front of us he's 25 yards away closing and it's you know i know that any second he's going to pop his head up and he's going to see us and all at once he got to like 16 yards and his head went to crack but i was waiting for that exact instant like i knew it was coming he's going to see us as soon as he cracks his head it's time to draw and shoot don't think about it just do it and it literally happened that quick you know one to two seconds 
but in my, you know, two or three years ago, I probably wouldn't have gotten that, that, that deer because I didn't, I wouldn't have had the experience to, to know like exactly what's going to happen here. Now, you know, and that's what happens on the ground a lot of times is there's situations, maybe not necessarily like that. Maybe they're walking, maybe they're just walking in on you and all of a sudden they spot you. It's not going to take them very long. You got to pick your times to draw and all of that. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the second most important thing I'd say, you know, once you get within that bow range, it's, that's a, a huge factor that you, it's, it's, it's very important. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but right. But, uh, that makes yeah. sense. Um, if you had to pick one tip and only one tip, well, what's your number one tip that you would want to share with others to make them better deer hunters? Number one tip, I would say, I would say that uh, the number one thing over my hunting career, outside of choosing to hunt public land for a whole that goes on a whole nother tangent, but story, but or reasons why. But outside of that, I would say the number one thing I would say is don't be afraid to go after a deer and be mobile. And uh, that, that, would, that would be, that's definitely the turning point of, the, ever since I started hunting exclusively on the ground, those are the best seasons I've ever had, right. for sure. And it has every season ramped up more and more. Um, so, and it would never be to the point that it is if we didn't hunt on the ground like we do. Um, you know, and I have had people that have said, you know, why don't you guys hunt out of tree stands? I think it's silly to hunt out of... They, but I think they maybe forget that, you know, we're trying to make a, a public land video and one, two, three, four big buck kills in a season would be an unbelievable season, but it's not good enough to, to, to where people are going to be excited to pick up the new whitetail adrenaline video. Gotcha. You know, we, we needed to ramp that up. And so hunting on the ground has definitely got us a lot better results. And I don't feel like we have some uh, crazy gifts I guess you could say, like, I'm the only one that can stock the ear or, you, you know, you know what I mean? Right, right. You're not um, super, super hunters. You, you're, you're everyday guys exactly. that just kind of figured out how to do this thing. Right, exactly. I feel like, you know, a lot of people that I meet, I feel like I could go out in the woods with them and we could stock whitetails, you know? Gotcha. Um, most hunters, I think, could do it. So, um, I would say that's my number one thing that I would suggest giving a whirl, um, but also, you know, a person's got to decide what ultimately gets them excited about hunting. And if, you know, there was a point as well where I was a little bit almost burnt out on hunting. So I had to redefine what really makes me tick. And, you know, that's also, you know, part of why I love the public land and everything and hunting on the ground. Those two things right there definitely make me tick, I guess you could say. Gotcha. I love so. it. Um, Jared, uh, this has been awesome. And I think this is probably the fastest hour we've ever gone through. In fact, we've gone over and it's yeah, still crazy. It feels like we've been talking for 10 minutes. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, thanks for getting a hold of me. And, uh, yeah, I hope the viewers uh, or listeners, not viewers, right? right? <laughs> listeners, right. I hope they, uh, right. I hope they get something out of it and, uh, you know, can utilize something from it. Um, Definitely. Be successful, have a successful season. Uh, how, how can we get a hold of you or buy your DVDs or, uh, or find your websites? Where can we find you? Uh, our website's whitetailadrenaline.com. Um, so pretty easy to remember. Whitetail Adrenaline with an E at the end. Okay, uh, yeah. And then um, 
we do have a Facebook page uh, under Whitetail Adrenaline as well. If people kind of want to keep up a little bit on what's what's going on, I will admit I'm not the best about posting content too regularly. Okay. Um, All right. No <laughs> on that, I just kind of get caught up with you know the business end of things and everything that goes on there to keep keep the company moving forward and stable and everything and and. Uh, and so, yeah, that's uh, that's the two places I guess to to find us um, and find you know all of our videos and stuff and preview videos, trailer videos. People can come out on our website. So. Awesome, so cool, Dust. Do you have any any last questions for Jared? You know, I don't. I definitely like Jared's tip. You know, if you haven't went out and tried to hunt off the ground, you know, you only live once. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail doing it, but it's the experience and the fails are maps to success when it comes to ground and pound, as I would call it. Right. That's an awesome tip. You know, snooking. go try it out. Snooking. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Snooking. And that's, that's very, I'm yeah, snooking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause I never talked about the failure and there is failure with it, but that's part of the, you know, that's part of the progression and getting from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to have failed attempts and failed tries, but you know what? That's also what keeps it exciting, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, success, uh, I was told by an old timer one time, uh, you know, failure is a map to success. If you if absolutely. you don't fa- if you don't fail you don't figure nothing out right that's right very true You're absolutely correct Jared this has been fantastic um, okay but, but man thank you so much for joining us on the Big Buck podcast yeah. meant a lot to us and meant a lot to everybody listening I'm positive yeah well yeah again thanks for having having me on and it's great to talk about you know get you guys interacted and and, uh, and everything so. Awesome, man. All right. Well, well, we'd love to have you back for round two because I feel like we really just touched on the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Here. That would be cool. Yeah, I'd definitely be game for that. So, awesome. Um, you guys just whenever, let me know. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us, Jared. I appreciate it. So that was the fastest hour and 20 minutes I think I've ever experienced. Oh, by far. Like, it, where did it go? I was so zoned in on this guy, listening to every little detail that literally is, it felt like 10 minutes. Yeah, how, how could you not be zoned in when he's talking about something that normally doesn't happen? I mean, you know, anytime you can take and, and, and put a mature buck on the ground, from the ground, you know, that that's taking your hunt to the next level. I You know, I, I love, I mean, there is nothing I love better than getting 10 yards away from a whitetail, looking them in the eyes, and taking a shot. Yeah, I, I got a video from you. Uh, not too long ago, of you literally right, right up in a deer's area. Right, yeah, you that was right there, five I mean, yards away. Yeah, that was that was insane. I love getting that close. Love that. It's a challenge. Yes, and I lo- that's why I love Jared Scheffler and the the way he hunts on the ground with a bow, public land. It just it it just it epitomizes the the very essence of that pure hunter. I may have picked up some slang tonight, some snooking slang. Snook. Hey, I love the snook word. <laughs> I'm going to go snooking a lot this year. Oh, right man, on. Just awesome stuff. I, I hope that everybody that listens goes snooking and let us know about it, how you how it turned out. Yep. I want to see it. I want some results. And don't be afraid to get out of your stand and get close because it can happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, the rut's a great time to be uh, adventuring. Uh, what I would call ground and pound. That's how I refer to it. And, uh, you know, the rut's an awesome, awesome time to get out there and do that because they're moving. The deer are naturally moving. 
they're not bedded up. They're not uh, they're not necessarily nocturnal at that time of year when the rut's in. And uh, you know, I suggest you get out there and, and hit it and try to make that kill shot from the ground. It, it's a cool experience. I just uh, encourage everybody to try it at least once. And I'd be willing to bet that if you had some success, you're not going to go back to the stand. But just just a hunch. Um, do we have a chubby tines tip of the week this week, Dusty? We do. You know, it, it's getting close to the rut. And I'm going to suggest that you use your, your dough and heat urine. You know, put it out. Drag, uh, you know, get your rope tied around your boot. Put you a piece of uh, any kind of old sock, anything that you can spray or dump the uh, dough and heat urine on the rag. Mm. Drag that from your truck all the way to your setup. You know, if you've got to walk uh, a long distance, refresh that rag about halfway, midway point. Dump a little more pee or spray a little more dough and heat pee on there. Mm-hmm. Drag that rag in there and douse down the area where you're hunting. Make them, make them curious. Make them mature bucks. Think they're on a hot dough. They'll run right into you. Guaranteed. It's happened many a times. I like it. And are you going to use some of the Northwoods common sense this year? Absolutely. You know, I, I can't, I can't say enough about uh, Dean Banyard at Northwood Common Common Sense. Um, I stuck my buck uh, on the. I was using the buck with torso from Northwoods yep. last year. I made uh, four mock scrapes one evening. I backed out after I made them. The next morning, I smoked my buck right there, and he was sniffing the mock scrapes. That's awesome. I mean that that's uh, as a testament to Dean's products. Um, and he's not paying us to say this. I just like his products. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and what the when I first got the bottle out to the house here in Ohio from, from uh, New Hampshire. I cracked the lid on. I had to smell it. It's the hunt, th- the hunt neck thing to do is smell the deer pee. Right, right. And, it might be uh, a hunt neck if you open up your freshest bottle of dopey and smell it. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I checked it out. I smelled it, and it was different from any other product yes. I've, I've ever smelled. And I'm not saying that because he's paying us he right. is not paying us we have we have nothing going on with northwoods common sense right. but i'm telling you i love it i really 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 love it yep. it's it, uh you know i i'm actually just getting ready to uh use it myself the dough and heat again this year and i think that i'm gonna have some huge results yep i, I love the dough or the buck tarsal and the dough and heat stuff um seems to get me close every single time i go into woods uh and it, it's almost unbelievable how how good it works uh, yeah really really it is you know and like i said i'm saying this from my heart not because uh, yes saying it from my heart and because i've used it um and uh, no, no perks at all other yeah. than I just like it. So this is just a conversation. Right. Absolutely. You know, my brother was, he was all down and out about a season last year. I said, yep. Hey, you're going to Southern Ohio, ain't you? And he said, yeah, I, I hated the buck with torso. I said, make four or five mock scrapes and see what happens. Sure enough. He smoked his buck sniffing the scrapes. Awesome, man. It was cool. You know, and that, you know, that's another testimony and we can have him on the show and testify to it yep. that, uh, you know, that buck came right in, was checking them scrapes because of the Northwoods common sense buck with torso. And Dean's coming up. He's going to join us again, right? On the, the show. I think. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, you you know, Dean. And, uh, yeah. And we're going to talk some more about properly applying deer, deer urines and, uh, how to set your woods up to uh, kill big bucks. Awesome. Excellent, man. Well, it's been a great show. Just learned a ton. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend, to have you on with us and, and talk some deer hunting every oh, single week. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure with you too, Jay, and we hope the listeners learn something from this show. And uh, 
We look forward to every show just because we know that we're bringing the facts and throwing the good cards on the table. Definitely. How can we find you, Dusty? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Facebook.com forward slash Dusty Hunt Neck. Dusty Hunt Neck. Getting it done. You might be a hunt neck. Hey, Jay, how can the people reach out to you at the Big Buck Register? All right. First and foremost, I'd like to invite you to join us on iTunes at bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iTunes if you're an Apple user and listen to our content. Let us know how you feel about it. Leave us a review, five star preferably, and subscribe to the show. That would be excellent. And tell your hunting buddies about this show because if you got good stuff out of this if you if you got some good content out of this and it's helping you become a better hunter then your hunting buddy needs to know that too so share share all the content as you see fit uh you can reach us over at the uh, over at the blog page which is www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash no there is no forward slash www.bigbuckregistry.com you can find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. We're also on Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. And I'd love for you to give us a call at 724-613-2825. Tell us how you feel about the show. Give us some reviews, whether you hate us or, or love us. I don't care. I'd like to hear it. And if you would like to submit a photo of your deer to the Big Buck Wall of Fame, which is our Facebook page, which we're around 120,000 viewers now, so you're going to be famous for at least a day. Send it to www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck. And if you're an outdoor outfit out there, if you have a hunting crew and you started a Facebook page and you'd like to do a share for share with us, happy to set you up with that. Uh, go to www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash S4S and just follow the instructions. I'm done. Huh. Yeah. Got to breathe, uh, man. Uh, breathe. Uh, no, you got to take a breather. God, man, that's a lot to say. <laughs> that's awesome though you know check us out definitely go to itunes and give us a review and, and if you would give us a five star on your review and we, we want to hear your feedback on the show and you know we, we do it for the listeners we're here for you guys you know obviously it helps us out and we know it helps you out but we want to we want to hear how it helped you and what you've done to take your hunt to the next level exactly excellent um I think that's a wrap, brother. Awesome, man. Well, I'm Dusty Phillips. And I'm Jay Scott, and this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.